For the first time in more than five and a half years, we finally tonight have a few new answers to a question that has loomed over Indiana and over the town of Delphi. Who killed Abby Williams and Libby Jones? From the end of the bridge to, you gotta go through. Now, I believe that the bodies were found about to. born from a family's grief and determination. In April of 2020, Army soldier Vanessa Guillen went missing while stationed at one of the largest military installations. You hear that little music in the background, it goes, don't be suspicious, don't be suspicious. Right. Knew about it or was there. It's, he's as guilty as the person who committed. Chilling details in the arrest of a suspected serial killer caught before he could strike again. Him, they, they, they dropped the ball, man. Like, they said he went AWOL. Mm. And that, uh, that he was a deserter and nobody went to look for him. Today is not a day to celebrate. But the arrest of Richard M. Allen of Delphi on two counts of murder. Like I said, we're going back. We were asked last time to kind of talk about the food, uh, the grub truck video and kind of give our perspective of it. The, the, the press release from the police department indicated that they're still trying to put pieces together from that night. It, does that does that worry you in any at any point uh, or at any bit that they're still trying to put those pieces together? It's been over five weeks since little Kaylee Anthony vanished. Her mother, Casey, has been arrested for lying to police. She's being held without bail. Hey, greetings from the year three thousand. It still sucks. This is Phil J. Fry, and you're listening to. The Drunken Turkey Show. You're one stop for this sort of thing. Hit that button, like and subscribe. You know what to do, just like every other podcast. Before we get started, I just wanted to mention our partner, Data Seal, whose services happen to align with something I am passionate about, personal privacy. Have you ever been concerned about your home address, phone number, and other personal information being readily available online for anyone to find? Data Seal has developed an automated data removal solution that deletes your personal information from over 70 people's search sites and data brokers. Use the link below in the description and comments to get 5% off of your subscription. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Drunk Turkey Show. I'm your host, Daniel J. Alongside with me, as always, unless he's not there, Big Blue. How's it going, Big Blue? You're muted, buddy. But while you're unmuting, I want to say thank you and welcome uh, FEOF 1999. I apologize. I didn't want to mess up the name there. Coming the newest YouTube member. Congratulations. Welcome to the Drunk Turkeys. Hey, Big Blue, how you doing that? You're muted again, bro. You're muted. Still muted, brother. There you go. How about now? How about now? Good to go, man. Good to All go. All right. It's Friday, man. It's Friday. One more day of work, and then I'm off this weekend. So, what? So. What? That's good stuff, man. That's good stuff. So, okay. um, go ahead. That name, that name is Fail, 1999. In Spanish, Fail means ugly. So, I, I understand that nickname. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we cannot confirm or deny that that may have been or may not have been Spanish, but. Either way, so uh, <clears throat> we had an interesting conversation uh, a couple of days ago with the uh, Mercy podcast. I highly recommend you go watch that and listen to that. We talked to them about Delphi and Idaho 4. 
Uh, Kevin Greenlee, he's an attorney, and I had some questions for him during the uh, conversation that, you know, about the legality aspect of some of the uh, uh, of this case. And me and Blue decided we'd put together a, uh, a show for you guys tonight to kind of, you know, talk, look at the evidence, look at what has been what has come out, what has been leaked out and, and ask the question, is it is it helpful or is it hurtful towards the case? And so, um, you know, what we want to do is we want to start off from the beginning, right, and go forward. So let's look at the evidence at total. You know, when the uh, police arrive, first thing that there, it's probably noticeable is that there's two surviving witnesses, right, or vic uh, two victims that survived. Uh, their statement is going to be um, crucial uh, to this in the, this case and, and to this trial. Um the first one's going to be, uh, we really haven't heard, well, one, we haven't really heard about Bethany's um, case other than the fact that she was there and slept throughout some part of the night. Dylan, however, has put out her testimony in her case. Uh, um, somebody close to Dylan supposedly came out with a YouTube. We aired it this morning, a uh, YouTube channel, and they came out with a video talking about Dylan. Uh, you know, her being in the house and seeing the actor uh, alleged to be Brian Koberger, how strong do you think that her testimony or her witness statement is going to be, Big Blue? I mean, it all varies on the circumstances leading up to the night. You know, a good defensive attorney is going to be like, was she drinking? Was she impaired? Uh, that can be a big factor in being a viable witness. Right. Right. Apparently, and, and according to, well, first and foremost, Ashley Banfield from News Nation reported last night that um, some, they had sources come come through and talk about the night of the incident and basically state forward that during the commissioning of the crime, Dylan had uh, opened the door and at one point yelled out uh, to the uh, to Zanna and Ethan or in their direction to quiet down. You know, she thought that they were just partying it up. And that, you know, when she saw somebody walk through, she thought it was a friend of Ethan or Zana's or somebody from the house. And what do you think about that? Do you think that that makes more sense than what's in the probable cause affidavit that she opened the door, saw him and then he left? Yeah, I think that that makes more sense. You know, what I mean, like like I had mentioned before, they're, they, they're young, they party, people come over and it could have been, you know, one of their friends leaving from partying with them. It could have been, you know, one of the girls had a guy over and leaving. But the part that throws it off is she said that she froze still where she, you know, couldn't call for help. You know, that, that part is going to be a little confusing on that when she's up in the stand. How can she explain that part of her testimony? Right, right. She froze, she froze and still in fear. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. We have 511 uh, viewers right now in the live chat so early. Thank you guys so much. We have 105 likes, though. Let's get those likes up, please. We appreciate that. Um, so <clears throat> I agree. I agree. There's going to be, you know, uh, I think the defense is going to attack the witness. They're going to try to break down her credibility. They're going to talk about that night and if she was impaired by and by any means, whether it was alcoholic or or, or uh, other means of impairment. Uh, and they're going to try to poke holes in that witness statement. Uh, apparently, you know, we put out a video, well, not apparently, we did put out a video 
from somebody who was apparently close to Dylan's inner circle. Um, from his description of what he had stated was that his girlfriend was friends with Dylan. And he put out a video three weeks ago talking about what Dylan had stated, what she had seen. And it matches a lot of what Ashley Banfield reported from their source. Um, a lot of the information coincides. And so it makes me think that maybe perhaps there's a little bit of truth to what that story was. And it makes a little bit of sense in the aspect of why did Brian Koberger, you know, allow this person to, you know, stay alive, especially if, if she made her presence known, she walked out and saw him. Why did he leave her alone and I, I, alive? And I think it has probably more to do with um, when he heard somebody yell, it probably shocked him, probably startled him. He probably didn't think that, you know, that maybe there was nobody else in the house or well, that was awake. And so I think he, he panicked and, and thought that maybe somebody perhaps called the police. Now, the proximity of where the, uh, the house is on King Road and where the uh, Moscow Police Department is, is not very far. And you also have to remember this is a football night. This is a uh, parents night, a parents weekend in WSU at nearby. And so there's going to be a, a higher police presence going on. Right. And so um, my assumption is that he is assuming somebody's calling the police and he needs to bounce as fast as possible. Kind of mean being also why he leaves the knife sheath. What do you think? What do you think about that theory? And real quick, I want to say thank you so much to Sylvia for being uh, one of our newest members. Congrats. Thank you so much. We appreciate yeah. you. Thank you, Sylvia. Yeah, I think uh, that, that could have been one of the reasons why he left the sheath, you know. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. It doesn't say he was wearing like a pants with a belt loop and it, on his way out, just saying he was wearing dark clothes. So a knife that big, you're going to be fumbling a knife around. I would have probably thought he would have put it back in there and shoved it down his pant leg and pocket and get out of there. But he probably got frightened by something. Right. You know, right. So and so all this is like our speculation and theory. So it's not something that's going to be vetted or true. So just take that with a grain of salt, like we say. Let us know in the comment section. Do you think that Dylan's witness testimony is going to be a, uh, um, something that is strong for the prosecution? If so, push put one in the chat. If it's something that you think that the defense is going to be able to pick apart, hit number two. Now, remember, <clears throat> it was her description of his height and weight and the bushy eyebrows that led to the discovery of, uh, of Koberger. Right. And so <clears throat> it, it was her testimony that led to the discovery of Koberger, uh, which, you know, I'd ask Kevin Greenlee, you know, about the. About the search warrant for his cell phone pings, right, you know, based on just that witness testimony alone and the fact that he drove a car that was similar as to the vehicle that was seen. I didn't think that was strong enough evidence just on its own by its own merit. But by the sounds of it, it seems like the police department, if we believe what the uh, the YouTuber stated that claims to be close to uh, Dylan Mortensen, um, if we believe what he had said, that then it was within days that they had pictures of Brian Koberger 
and we're trying to, um, you know, get Dylan to agree that uh, Brian Koberger was who she he had seen. What were your thoughts on that? You know, it's it's gonna be hard for. I want to see, like, when the judge signed off to be able to get the, his, like, get him, uh, get his records and everything. Sorry, I, I, I couldn't hear that last part. My daughter opened the door. So, what was that? No, no, I just asked you, you know, what are your thoughts on, on, um, on the fact that based on the, the, the person from the YouTube video, it, it seems like she didn't see much. She yelled, oh, yeah. she saw somebody. He claims she wasn't in fear, but there are some things in that video that, that kind of make me question some stuff. But a lot of what he said came back out to be pretty accurate. Um, you know, I see okay. a lot of twos in the live chat as well. Yeah. And so I think to that, I would say she probably didn't see much. I mean, like she said, she yelled for them to, you know, calm down the ruckus. Who knows if she opened the door at that time? And then right. when, in the statement she put, she said she opened the door. Saw him passing by. Um, doesn't um, doesn't say you know. I turned on the light. Would have noticed me if I would have turned on the light. My door was already halfway cracked open. Maybe he didn't hear the, the doorknob fumbling around. So there's a lot of variables that we don't know. You know, right. uh, maybe she saw him uh, turn the corner, and that's all he, she saw. That one glimpse. Right. And he walked out the back door. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um, one second. You know, for me, it's just one of those things where um, I think that the prosecute the defense is going to come in there with a lot of they, they're going to be ruthless. Let's just put it that way. So. The next piece of evidence that they had there on scene that we know of um, is going to be the, the knife sheath. The knife sheath had some DNA on there. The uh, the DNA was then later traced back to Brian Koberger through DNA. Um, it, it was confirmed through geneal genealogical means or whatnot, basically through his father uh, out of some trash that he had disposed of. Um, I think that that's probably the strongest evidence in uh, in this case, um, I think that's, you know, that puts him in contact with at least the uh, the alleged possible weapon that was huge used in this crime. Um, what do you think, uh, Big Blue? How, how strong do you see that that piece of evidence in this case? I mean, uh, that type of DNA is actually used by a lot of court systems. I mean, it's used to put people in jail and it's also used to get people out of jail. You know, people have been convicted for 20 years for a murder and then they do a DNA test and then they find out, guess what, it's not this guy. And then they actually find the person that it was because uh, that's how good that DNA testing has become. So I believe it's a pretty good test, man. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I do too. And thank you, Shaza Bandana, Banda. Uh, sorry about that for becoming the newest member. Uh, starting next week, y'all. We're going to be doing something on Friday nights after our lives. We're going to be doing about an hour, hour and a half, hour and 15 minute live. And then we're going to jump over to a members only live for about 30 minutes, kind of recapping everything. If you want to check that out and be a part of that, make sure you, you know, you hit that join button 
uh, to become a member so you don't miss out on that content. Thank you so much. And so, yeah, for me, the ninth chief is the biggest piece of evidence against Brian Koberger. Uh, I feel that, you know, that the way they were able to identify him, that just, you know, that puts that knife, you know, that at least the sheath that is in his hands or in his possession at one point. Now, could he come up with some kind of defense? We haven't heard what his defense is for the sheath. Uh, there's possible that he had one. Maybe perhaps he can come back and say that he did own a knife similar to the one that was used or or maybe the one that was used and it was stolen from him. You know, something like that. I tend to think that those type of coincidences don't have that much weight. You know, when you go, oh, I, I had the murder weapon, but it was stolen. You know, unless there was a police report or something of that effect, you know, saying that he had his house burglarized or his vehicle burglarized and that that, that was taken out. Yeah, and so... It would have been a police report. He would have been as smart as he should be that this should have been a police report to cover yeah. his tracks if, if anything happened. And somebody asked if I'm drinking tonight. I'm sorry I'm not tonight. I work. But next Friday night, I'm going to be drinking for sure. Yeah, next Friday night, we're going to be doing a drink off. So make sure you hit that subscribe button. Make sure you hit that like button because uh, and ring that notification bell because we'll be drinking doing a taste test on some different beers that we've never tried before. We're going to, you know, we've done this in the past. Um, you know, we're going to put out a list a couple of days in advance, probably about Thursday or Wednesday before Friday of next week uh, with that list of alcoholic adult beverages that we're going to be consuming. That way, if you guys want to try them out with us, if they're at your local store, you can go ahead and go and pick some up and, and, and give us, you know, let us try the drink, you know, taste off with us. Let's have a yeah. good I was going to say, somebody put on there that they're drinking Jaeger tonight. Man, they used to be oh, one of Jaeger bombs, you know, the, the Red Bull and Jaeger. Those were my best. Uh, start Starters for the night, you know, it's take two or three to start up the night. Then, yeah, no, for sure. Uh, so, I got a, I got a Jaeger uh, story, but while I do that, um, write one in the comment section, guys, if you guys think that the knife sheath carries more weight for the prosecution carry two. think that there's an explanation for the defense and that that way i'm putting these uh points together so to speak prosecution and defense and i want to see what ends up coming out of it at the end you know not just for me and blue but also from you guys we want to interact with y'all so defense prosecution right now we're one and one right blue yeah <sighs> somebody put on there he wouldn't be holding it because he's he's a vegan uh, I saw a vegan joke today. It said a little girl and the dad were trying to take a picture. And the dad says, uh, say cheese, sweetie. And he, she goes, I don't say cheese, dad, because I'm vegan. I say lettuce. <laughs> 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 so he goes, say lettuce. They take the pictures. So. Man, with Jaeger, it was my, that that's funny. But with Jaeger, to go back to my story, uh, I uh, I think it was my 25th birthday or something like that. I ended up taking uh, seven shots of it was called it was called liquid 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 cocaine back in the day. Uh, it was uh, and the way they made it at the at the bar that I used to go to, it was a uh, it was a half shot of uh, Jaeger, half shot of Ghost Lager, half shot of Rumple Mint, and a half shot of One Fifty One. I took like six or seven of those on my birthday, and since then. No, nah, I haven't been able to down Jaeger like I used to. It used to be, I used to like it. I used to enjoy it. It used to be my, 
my drink of choice, but I haven't had it in so many years. It's crazy. Yeah. It, yeah, I regretted that. And so in this one, there's there's some combinations between ones and twos here. You know, the, the other one was all straight twos. This one, there's ones and twos when it comes to the knife sheath as far as, you know, who we think is, um, you know, how strong that evidence is. Now, the third piece of evidence is going to be the white Elantra, right? So they got video images throughout town of a white Elantra traveling. They, um, I'm assuming that this, uh, because they bring it up so often that the vehicle didn't have a front license plate and that um, Brian Koberger's vehicle didn't have a front license plate because it was from Pennsylvania, that I am assuming um, that the vehicle that they saw on, on footage didn't have a front license plate, right? Now... I was reading over the probable cause affidavit today, right? And there's a couple of things that 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 intrigue me about it, and I'll, and I'll pull it up. It says suspect vehicle one is next seen departing the King King Road residence at approximately 4:20. So, um, at this point in the probable cause affidavit, suspect vehicle one is the vehicle that they see in and around the King Road residence before and after the incident, right? And so um, it says right here, law enforcement officers provided video footage of suspect vehicle one to forensic examiners of the FBI and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I think they just says somewhere here that, hold on, because I, I have read it somewhere. They just, oh, here it is. After reviewing numerous of observations of suspect vehicle one, the forensic examiner initially believed that the vehicle one was a 2011 or 13 Elantra. So this means all the way up into the point that they, at, you know, at a certain point until this means up until the point that they figured out that it, it could have been Brian Koberger, it was a 2011 to 13 Hyundai Elantra. And the reason I say that is because um, they didn't know about Brian until, or the, or the second vehicle until they asked WSU to get involved and they told them about the white Elantra and they sent over the video of said information, right? And that after that is when they went and they found Brian Koberger's vehicle and it was a 2015. So up until that point, up until the point that they got the, uh, the surveillance of the white Elantra and Pullman, they suspected it was a 2011 or 13 Elantra. It says upon further review, he indicated it could also be a 2011 or 16 Elantra as results investigators reviewing information of persons possessing that vehicle, 2011 to 16 Hyundai Elantra. All right, and then it says investigators were given access to footage of Washington State University campus and a video indicated. Now, <clears throat> when did they get access? These is this when they were looking for it and they asked for a, you know, footage of a white Elantra? Because that didn't come around until uh, the end of November. I think it was the November 25th was when they released that information out that they were looking for a white Elantra to nearby cities, right? Yeah. And so investigators were given access. Maybe they just said, can we have access to your footage? And they just gave them the complete rundown. A review of video indicated that approximately 244 uh, on November 13, a white sedan, which was consistent with the description of the white Elantra known as suspect vehicle one, was observed on WSU surveillance cameras traveling north uh, 
north on southeast Nevada Street at Northeast Stadium Way at approximately 253. Um, a white sedan, which is consistent with the description of suspect vehicle one, is observed traveling southeast on Nevada Street uh, towards SR 270, which connects to Washington to Moscow, right? Um, it says here, Pullman, Washington provided the same FBI forensic examiner. The forensic examiner identified the vehicle observed in Pullman, Washington as being a 2014 to 16 Hyundai Elantra. So there was no question that the one in Washington at two in the morning and at five in the morning was a 2014 to 2016 Elantra. But there was at least initially the thought that the first vehicle that was seen driving around the residence during, you know, in and around the time of the commission of the crime was a 2011 to 13 until revealed later. Until they got the tapes, because this is when the forensic examiner identified the vehicle and pulling as being 2014 to 16 Elantra. Yeah. I mean, at least they kind of had an idea what the car was. It ain't like some other reports I've seen, you know, just looking for a gray 2000 sedan. You're like, that's, there could be millions of them out there. You know what I mean? They had a little bit of an idea what kind of car they were going to start looking for. Right, right. Well, here's the thing, though. And, and I brought this up several times. It says here at 244, he's on camera at one point at, at some place, but over here, where was it? When they get the, uh, there it is. Um, at 2.42, his phone was using um, coverage that covered his house, right? And then it says, uh, here after known as Coburger Residence. At approximately 2.47, the phone used, utilizes cellular resource providing coverage southeast of Coburger Residence, consistent with the 8458 leaving the Coburger residence and traveling south. But if he left at at 247 or between 242 and 247, how is he two miles away on camera at 244 through residential area? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I was adjusting my mic. I saw some like two people say my mic's slow, so uh, I got you. I adjusted. I felt like this new mic. I can hand adjust it. So, and let me know in the comment section. Do you guys think that this surveillance footage is is evidence that is strong for the prosecution? Hit hit the hit the one. If it's for the defense, hit the two. Um, I think that when you're looking at this car driving back and forth, uh, I'm wondering if there's a possibility that the two vehicles look different. Because at one point, um, the police were questioning it as being a 2011 or 13. Now, the other thing also we have to take into effect is when it talks about the white Elantra suspect vehicle one coming into play, uh, it is seen westbound here on the 700 block of Indian Hills Drive, which is in the neighborhood east of the uh, the res- of the neighborhood of where the victims lived, which doesn't really jive with him traveling from from west eastbound 
why would he be going westbound from the east? Now, he was spotted or stated to have left at 257. This is 326, so approximately 30 minutes for a 15-minute drive. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? And so Even there's some time that's missing, and Even there's a direction. Like, like Miss Daisy, that's still quite a bit of time, man. I... Yeah, yeah. And so there's that question as to what was he doing over here? or on this side of town. And because um, from this, you know, a lot of folks were saying, all right, from up here, you can see the Moscow Police Department. And that's absolutely true. From right here, you can see the Moscow Police Department. Perhaps you're trying to keep an eye on things, maybe see if, you know, there's some um, something going on. There's the Moscow Police Department right there. However, I believe Turn this around. I believe the camera, and I, I think it may have been Gray Hughes who found the camera, uh, but the camera that is on the 700 block of Indian Hills Drive, I think it was over here in this area. What if so, uh, he was just checking his like his surroundings because like like Dylan's statement said that she did yell out for them to quiet down, and maybe he heard that. Maybe he was trying to see if, like after he left, maybe he was checking to see if somebody called nine one one. Oh, I'm for see. sure positive. I think he thought when he when and he heard the scream that somebody was calling nine one one at that point, or heard somebody yell. Now, if I were to go and put myself over here, where this camera is supposedly in this area, I'm not sure what they saw. I haven't gone through it piece by piece to see what camera they're referring to. But oh, maybe it's this one. There it is. And so maybe this is the camera that caught on from this direction. You can't see the police department. Okay. You know what I'm saying? You can't see the police department. Yeah, that's your camera. You can't see the police department. You can't see anything. And yet this guy made a beeline from this area right here. Because it's at 326 that he's seen passing here. 328, he's seen passing at this interse intersection. 329, he's at the residence. So he made a beeline from this area here, and then he passed around several times until he gained confidence enough to stop and commit the crime. Um, I, I think the defense is going to question if it was Brian Koberger, why is he traveling from this direction? You know what I'm saying? We have a couple of other YouTube creator content content creators in the live chat. We have oh wow, we have we have uh, Sonny from It's a Criming Shame. We have uh, publicly buzzed. We have Doctor Thrifty in the house, and the nine hundred block has two cams, is what he's saying. Hmm, interesting. And so, you know, I don't see him stopping right here based on this time frame of three twenty six. 328 him stopping and, and and observing much from um from the moscow police department and so in my opinion there's a couple of things that just kind of kind of stand out to me they're a little bit odd um what do you think blue are you thinking that the uh, white elantra is going to help prosecute 
in this incident now, the one thing we don't know also we have to keep in mind is what was the result of the of the search of his vehicle. And so with just the surveillance of the vehicle, um, with just the surveillance of the vehicle, do you think that that sides more with the prosecution or more with the defense? Um, I, I just want to say probably more for the defense because they haven't said they found anything. And there was a couple more YouTubers or content creators on there. Uh, so nice to meet you guys. We haven't Bring had them on our show. So. Bring them up, man. Bring them up. Yeah, let me just bring it up here. SW Studios. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you, guys. Thank you all. I mean, we have over a 1,000 people in the live chat. We have 354 likes. Let's get that up a little bit. Let's see if we can get this over 500. I'd appreciate that if you guys could do that. It's hard. I'm trying to, like, listen to you and trying to read and monitor, monitor at the same time. So, it's, Oh, you're fine, buddy. You're fine. And so for me, though, I, I find I have a question when it comes to this map and it comes to the vehicles. To me, you have a possible, you know, what at least appears in the probable cause affidavit of of um, somebody who's trained to look at vehicles and come up with year make model. Got it wrong on the on the year. Now, the difference between a 2015 or 2016 Elantra and a 2011 are minute. It's a uh, different headlights as far as not the shape, but the uh, what the contents of those headlights are made out of. Uh, sometimes you get some that have like HIDs and things of that nature, uh, which is I've heard that's a drinking game. So drink up, y'all. I said things of that nature. And <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that in the live chat. I've seen that in yeah. the live chat before. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, DK7 has a question real quick. I have a question. If they had him in their sights not long after the incident, why did they get wait to get DNA evidence from the trash in PA? Could they have pulled it off a doorknob desk somewhere a lot closer? I honestly think that they were intimidated by his education and they felt that, you know, if they did something wrong, um, that this guy probably can get a lot of things taken out or were thrown out, things of that nature. And so I think that these guys wanted to wait till the absolute moment that they had that DNA. And I think they had to collect it at a certain time. Now, collecting it off of a doorknob that is touched by a lot of people, um, that could contaminate evidence, um, why they didn't wait for him to throw out his trash. Uh, maybe they tried and he just had some weird way of discarding his trash as he was doing it in his, at, you know, at his parents' house, he was discarding it at, at the neighbor's house at the wee hours of the night. So, you know, it's possible that they couldn't, you know, find anything there. Plus by the time that they uh, caught on to him, there may have been up that, that may have been closer to the time where he took off to, to uh, um, Pennsylvania. And so I don't know. I, I'm not sure. Um, but I assume and, and think to myself as well, why didn't they get that, you know, sooner? You know, they could have gotten it off of a cup. They could have waited for him somewhere, picked that up pretty easily. You know what I'm saying, Big Blue? Yeah, I mean, they, they there's a lot of ways for them to get DNA from him. I mean, him going to the restaurant, but he didn't really go out much when he went back home. He was only home for like two weeks, right? Two or three weeks and when he traveled back. Right. No, no, it would have been more. Like yeah, well, he, 
Yeah, he was out there from I think it was December thirteenth is when he took off, and um, you know he ended up getting arrested uh, December thirtieth, I believe it was. And so, <clears throat> I want to say hi to Aspen. What's up, Aspen? What's going on, buddy? We have a, a ten dollars super chat from uh, Patty Nielsen. Everything is circumstantial. Added together is impressive. That is true. That's true. And that's one thing that that we're going to talk about as well. We're going to talk about you know the evidence broken down. And then we're going to talk about the evidence um, at a whole and see, you know, talk about whether it's strong or not. And so the next thing that they had was the phone pings. Right. So they had him ping 12 times in and around his his residence. Um, My question is, um, how accurate are those pings or how accurate are those moments? I think they utilize one of the traffic stops in August. That's one of the times that he was in the area. However, you know, we had that citation and I have it marked here. That infraction occurred on the highway pretty, pretty far away from the victim's residence. Uh, to be honest with you, if this is one of the times that they considered him in and around the area, then just him traveling to, to Moscow is him being in the area. What do you think, Blue? I mean, it's, it's pretty pretty crazy uh, but i i know of another case where they've used the cell phone tracking system to find the evidence you know what i mean uh-huh. like um it was in another case where uh the the son had, had came home and discovered that his mom had been shot right and she was uh presumed she was passed away and they Supposedly the robbers took her cell phone and something else. And mm-hmm. the robbers also took, she had indoor cameras, right? And mm-hmm. unfortunately those indoor cameras had the chip in it for them to be able to review it. And her phone was the only one that was linked to those cameras. Mm-hmm. So the police did go and they pinged her phone and they found the, the last ping was close to the river in the lake, a pond behind the house. And they retrieved the phone and the cameras from the ping. So they can be a little accurate. They can be used for cases. And and the, the, the crazy part about it was there was footage of the actual murder or the you know, unaliving, and it was the sun. The Sunday. Oh, where was that at? What city? That was in Florida. That was, that was a Florida case. Oh, okay. It's probably right. a much. It probably wasn't as rural as as northeastern or northwestern Idaho, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, over there, the, the thing that you would worry is there's so few towers. It takes yeah. time for the for it to bounce off the mountains to get to certain pings. So there, there's a little bit of a leeway. They said maybe 15 miles. But still, that's, that's at four o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the morning, you're pinging around the house. And that's pretty damning evidence instead of pinging at your house. Right. Yeah. And so for me, there's two things that, that are an issue with the pings, especially in this case. The first one is going to be the fact that it alludes that that Koberger was pinging at his house. And that he didn't leave until 247, but was on camera somewhere else. So that would allude that there is at least two white vehicles in the area with at least the same unique identifier of not having a front license plate. Now, the prosecution can come in and say, no, 
Um, that's just the tower that is closest to Coburger's residence. It covers more than just his residence. It also covers the southbound area that he would have been traveling to get to where he's seen. And so just because he was pinged by that tower doesn't mean that he was necessarily there. Well, then you can't utilize or cherry pick that information to just point to when the 12 times that he was in Moscow, that he was there. If the if it's not accurate in Pullman, it's not going to be accurate in Moscow uh, or the level of accuracy is going to be probably equivalent. And so you can't pick and choose and cherry pick which part of the evidence that you want. You know what I'm saying? And so they also have in the probable cause affidavit, it states, and I quote, uh, investigators found that the 8458 um, phone did connect to a cell phone tower that provides service to Moscow on November 14th, but investigators do not believe the 8458 phone was in Moscow on that day. The 8458 phone has not connected to any towers that provide service to Moscow since that day. And so, you know, they put something in here to kind of just throw everything, you know, into question. And so, but real quick, we got a 999 super chat. Don't you have to triangulate to get an exact location from cell towers? I don't know. I think that 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 the triangulation aspect of the cell phone pings is what makes it more accurate. If you only have one tower, then it's going to be kind of difficult to pinpoint it. But if you had two, three, four towers, uh, based on the strength of the towers, the based on the strength of the signal that they get from the device to those towers. We'll be able to determine an approximate location um, to to where that phone is now. Out here in rural Idaho, I'm not entirely sure how many phone towers there are out there. In fact, we're going to have a guy uh, come on the show not too too long from now. Uh, El Guapo, something 24 or 42. I apologize. Um, he did some triangulation um, where where the cell phone towers are, and so um, and how far they're their pings reach. And so we'll be able to determine if there's the possibility of triangulation there. But here they talk about, about this phone pinging somewhere else. It just tells me that the, the pings aren't as reliable as one would, um, one would, uh, would think, you know what I'm saying? What are your thoughts? Um, Big blue, but before you answer, let us know in the comment section, one for, the prosecution too for the defense, the phone pings. Do you think that that's going to be a strong piece of evidence, or do you think that's going to get taken away by the prosecute by the defense? One for prosecution is strong, two for the defense. Let us know. Um, and we have another ten dollar super chat. Thank you so much for Model Man MX. Did Brian drive from near the police station to the residence to time how long he had to escape? That's possible. That is possible that he could have done that. However, I, I, I don't know if he'd be doing it that night. You know, and, and the one thing that rubs me the wrong way is this, this is described, especially in the search warrant. Um, it's described that they believe that there was a lot of excess planning going into this. It was described as something that was a, a special date for him. Um, I think he would have been, um, man, I, I, I feel that if they put that much planning, he would have done that before. And that excitement would have got to him and he would have gone directly from Pullman, Washington 
to the residents to to circle at least once before going and checking out the uh, out the um, police department. We have a twenty dollar super uh, super chat from Regina Palma. Thank you so much. All right, Blue, what were you saying? I was gonna say I think that's a pretty good theory because he probably could have been checking it out to see how long it would take if there was like a a noise complaint or a noise um like if somebody just called them and saying they heard something how long he would have before they arrived if they drove a normal speed limit because when the cops come out for a normal complaint like that they're not flashing the lights running every red light you know right maybe he timed it to to and and uh, to see how long it had to get he had to get out yeah yeah i mean that, that that, that's a good that's a good statement that's a good possibility that may very well be what he was doing um but like i said the one thing that bothers me about it is you know it's supposed to be from all accounts like the motive here is like a thrill right you know the 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 search warrant kind of alludes to that's what the police are thinking when they talk about you know there'll be certain planning involved there'd be uh, all these things right uh, and that's why they picked up the cell, the, I mean, his, his computer tower. I would have assumed that his excitement and all those other things would have been there. Right. And that he would have passed by at the very least by the residents before going somewhere else. Not saying that he didn't go and do that. Right. Where he went to go time to see how long he had. But my thing is, I'm thinking that perhaps. Um in my opinion, maybe perhaps he would go pass by the house and then go time it. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. I want to say, uh, oh, you can say, I'll say the $20 Regina Palmer donation. Thank you. And then I know you have the $2 super chat. Yes. Thank you. We appreciate that. Lindy, uh, she comes in just tuning in Bluetooth speaker, picking up sound. I'm not sure what you mean by the sound, but I appreciate you. Thank you so much. And so I think that the there's some concern about the phone pings. I'm not sure that how accurate they are, and I'm not even sure if they're going to be able to utilize them. I have a strong feeling that this is going to be a situation that the defense is going to get try to get thrown out because of the uh, lack of evidence behind obtaining the warrant for it. You know, if if the evidence was just a height, weight, bushy eyebrows and that he drives a white Elantra uh, in an area where the police had came out and basically stated that they had 22,000 vehicles that matched the description of something that could have been what they were looking for in the area. And so uh, I'm not entirely sure that that is, uh, <laughs> is interested in Big Blue's calendar. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I'm not entirely certain that that, yeah. I don't know if they're going to be able to utilize this evidence. Um Let's see. The next piece of evidence that they have on here uh, referencing the phone was the fact that his phone was turned off during the commission of the crime. Right. And. And they talk about the unusual long route that he took. Right. To get back from Moscow to to Pullman, Washington. Now, they also talk about the very next day in this uh, probable cause affidavit. And in the very next day, uh, hold on, we got a $20 super chat real quick. 
Just one thing, how could the searches about murder and crime be suspicious if that's the topic he was being educated at school for? That, that's very true. And that's one thing also that I wanted to, to point out as well. They put in the probable cause affidavit the survey that he had done, and they used that as evidence for possible for this possibly being a thrill situation. And you know, he, he was a psychology major in criminology. So the study of the mind from a criminal is what he would be searching for. So I don't find that being strong evidence against him based on his field of study. Great, great, great comment. Great, comment. great, great question. And the question, the thing that, that worries me, like sometimes it's like, if you look at my search engines and, and my youtube on my tv what i've been looking at all the videos we've been you know re re reviewing it would i'd be kind of suspect you know suspicious because they're all about murders and trials and all the cases that we've been doing so yeah exactly and so you know depending on where you're at and what you're doing there's there is the possibility as far as um what do you call it uh this was his field of study. Now, one thing that I wanted to talk about as far as, you know, him going on this long trip outside of Idaho, I mean, into Idaho, you know, to get back into Pullman, Washington, is here in this in this uh, deal here, in this probable cause, it says, under further analysis of the cellular data provided show that 8458 phone utilized cellular resources on November 13th consistent with the phone traveling from Pullman to Lewiston, Idaho. And at approximately 1236, the uh, phone utilized cell services that would provide coverage to a Kate's uh, Cup of Joe coffee stand located at 810 Portland Drive in Washington. Surveillance footage of U.S. Chef's store located at 820 adjacent to Katie's shop showed a white Elantra consistent with vehicle one drive past. Approximately 1246, the phone then utilizes cellular data in the area for Albertson's Grocery Store at the 400 Bridge Street in Clarkston, Washington. Surveillance footage also obtained Albertson's showed Koberger exit the White Elantra consistent with suspect vehicle one at approximately 1249. Interior surveillance cameras showed Koberger walk through the store, purchase unknown items at the checkout, and leave at approximately 104. Koberger possible path travel is dictated below. Additional analysis of the records of his phone indicated that between 532 and 536 that the phone use, utilized cellular service by coverage for Johnson, Idaho. His phone then stops reporting to the network at approximately 536 to 830 p.m. Con the consistent with the phone being in the area uh, of the 8458 phone traveled the hours immediately following the suspected time the homicides occurred. Yeah, on December. All right. So. <clears throat> On December 27, agents recovered trash from the family residence located. So they, they, they go into detail about what, what Brian does the next day, but they don't tie it into the case. Like, for instance, I would understand this being in there if they found the knife, if they found the van's shoes somewhere near the Albertsons, in the creek, in the river. If they found something, some tool of the crime to tie this piece of document in, because the only thing that it's telling me is that this guy has a, a, a habit or a behavior or a pattern of behavior 
in which he travels long distances and turns his phone off. You know, that's one thing that the police department and the defense are going to look at and say, all right, you know, the night of the incident, the night during at the time you had your phone off. Is that something that you constantly do? Is that something that you're consistent with or is that something that you don't do? And that's something that is a big red flag. So if he doesn't travel far distances outside of the area that he's in and doesn't lose service on multiple occasions, then him having his phone off during the time of the incident and being on a trip far away would indicate to one that that was unusual behavior and um, something that was not part of his habits and that would, you know, be suspicious, but you have him doing something without tying it in. You know, it makes zero sense to put it in there unless they found something, a glove, a shoe, uh, the knife, something, except all they're doing is proving that this guy drives around with his phone, not, in, you know, on airplane mode sometimes out in long distances. What do you think, Blue, about that information? Do you think that that's more for, you know, the prosecution is going to be able to utilize him driving around and taking, you know, having his phone off? Or do you think this is something the defense can use and say, hey, this shows a pattern or a history, a pattern of behavior, that this is something that he does. It's not uncommon for him to turn off his phone and go on long drives throughout the rural area. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's... Uh... I think it's going to work more for the defense than it is going to be for the prosecution. You know what I mean? If he's yeah. done it multiple times, they can prove it. You know, they can say, well, that's why he turned off the phone that night. He mm -hmm. wanted to clear his mind, you know, which, um, I don't know, at four in the morning, I think I want my phone on just in case I have an accident. But that's just me. Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. You know, um, that is something that, you know, uh, like I said, I agree. I just feel that <clears throat> I just don't understand why it's in there. And all it does is give the defense ammunition, in my opinion. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's no point in putting that in there. Um, you know, I understand that you have to disclose of uh, evidence that potentially could lead to somebody being found innocent, right? Um, if not, then you'd be in violation of Brady. And, and I'm not talking about the quarterback. <laughs> uh, he, he violates himself sometimes. He violates himself. Yeah, he sure does. Um, you know, it, they would have to disclose this evidence that, hey, we, we saw him driving around, whatever, right? And, and the defense could use that. But I've never seen this in a probable cause affidavit. And the reason why that's concerning is because there's other stuff that's in there. They talk about how, you know, they suspect him leaving a certain area on Palouse River Drive because that road has a uh, is has a connecting road that goes directly into Pullman, Washington. It's a 10 mile drive, 10 minute drive. Yet, however, they know for a fact that he didn't go that route, that he went further south due to his pings. If those things are reliable. Yeah. And so why put that there? You know, so there's a lot of stuff that's in there. So that leads me to believe that this might be a lot of the information that is out there. There could be more. Who knows? But let's go through more of that evidence. Put it in the comment section, guys. One, do you think that that 
Uh, <laughs> Big Blue would have been a great quarterback. He, <laughs> he, he definitely would have. Uh, do you guys think that, that that piece of evidence of him traveling to Johnson, Idaho, turning his phone off, you know, without something to collaborate or tie it into the case, do you think that, that bit of information helps the prosecution, type one? Or do you think that bit of information helps the defense, type two? I personally think that it helps the defense, too. So, right now, go ahead. You know what? I would have been a better running back. Quarterback, eh, I got a bad shoulder from a football injury. So, a running back, I can run some fools over. Thank you so much for Christie's Corner for Collector says 1K watching and only 500 thumbs up. Hit it, guys. Yes, please. Thank you so much. Hit it. Let us know. And so we got a lot of twos, a couple of ones, 1. 1.5, <laughs> uh, three is speculation. We don't know what else they have. Uh, correct, correct. But when you put something into a court document like a probable cause affidavit, that is something that is probably the most factual and truthful information that they do have. Because, you know, the police department can come out and they can lie to the media. They can lie to people, um, but they can't lie to the courts. That would be perjury and um, and my, you, you, they wouldn't be able to do that. So the most accurate information that we do have is from the probable cause affidavit. And I just find it super concerning that they put, you know, they are handing the defense, their defense, <laughs> their game plan, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so, uh, you know, by putting certain things in there now, there was some more news that had broken out that we're going to talk about real quick. And you know what? Let me look at where we're at on our poll. We put a poll in there earlier where it was uh, we asked the question. Um, we asked the question, which theory is most likely true? Papa Rogers, inside looking Dylan, inner circle friend, where all of them are BS. All right. Right now, as of right now, the poll is 33 percent. No, 35 percent are in agreement that all are BS. Next one is at 33% that Papa Rogers is real. And then is Dylan inner circle friend who just came out with that video about three weeks ago with some information. And then we have inside looking big blue. Which one do you think has more of a chance of being real? Papa Rogers inside looking or Dylan inner circle. And what I mean by Papa Rogers and inside looking that both of either one or both of those profiles were controlled by Brian Koberger. Oh man, I, I'm I'm stuck between the Papa Rogers and the Inside Circle. Um, I listened to him, and he seemed like like it's, it's true. It's some of the stuff they said didn't happen. So, but I want I want to hear her story. I'm pretty sure they're gonna call her up as a witness. So I think that'd be the best information straight 100. from the source. One hundred. We have. We have a $5 super chat. Johnson, Idaho is a misprint. Johnson, Washington is a small community between the store and Pullman. That's quite possible. I've heard that as well. And I've seen some misprints in the probable cause affidavit when it came to the street. So it is probably impossible and more than likely possible. But since it's in there, I think we're going to, to continue with that direction. Um, where was I? All right. So. There was a possibility, and we brought this up as a possibility as well. Um, Brian being terminated as a TA from uh, the 
WSU uh, University there, uh, Washington State U- University. And News Nation came out with this article, and we'll read through it, and then we'll talk about it. It says, Idaho killing suspect Brian Koberger was allegedly fired from his position as a teaching assistant at Washington State University. Koberger, a 28, a criminal justice graduate student at Washington State, is accused of taking the lives of Kaylee Goncalves, Goncalves, I'm sorry, Madison Mogan, Ethan Chapman, and Zana Granoodle in their off-campus rental home in Moscow, Idaho, in November 2022. So the surviving roommate thought the noise was partying. That's another article, I'm sorry. So here's the letter that News Nation was able to obtain, right? It says, Mr. Koberger, I'm writing, to, writing this letter to formally inform you that the termination of your teaching assistantship with the Department of Criminal Justice and Criminology effective December 31st, 2022. This letter reads, in keeping with the WSU Graduate Student Handbook chapters 9G2 and 12E, below is listed of the events that led to you being deficient on the following contingency clause and your funding. Maintain satisfactory progress in fulfilling assistantship service requirements and duties. And so based on this, on September 23rd, he had an altercation with the faculty uh, you support as a TA, Professor Snyder. I met with you on October 3rd to discuss the norms of professional behavior. And so, you know, school started in late August. This was around one month into his, you know, TA uh, workmanship that work that he got. And he was also, you know, getting funded from some sort of some sort of way. Um, but within a month, he gets in an altercation with his professor, right? On October 21st, Professor Snyder emailed you about the ways in which you had failed to meet your expectations as a TA thus far in the semester. And the next bullet point, as a result, on November 2nd, Graduate Director Wilt, Willits and I met with you to discuss an improvement plan, which you agreed to and I shared with you in an email dated November 3rd. And so December 2nd, they wanted to meet to talk about the prof progress of the improvement plan. I assume and expect that that date of December 7th was, was uh, predetermined. It was not probably something due to um, anything else as far as um, another incident, right? Because they go on to say we met on December 7th, uh, this time with Professor Snyder as well as Dr. Willits, and I discussed your progress with the improvement plan. While not perfect, we agreed there was progress. Now, he was being looked at as a guy that was um, as a guy that was uh, grading pretty harshly. And then after the incident was said that he um, was grading a lot, you know, easier. The Hyman G with a $5 super chat, like, and subscriber become, become a member for special perks like our merch and Big Blue's 2024 sexy calendar. The December pick is my favorite. That is Hyman G coming in from outer space. <laughs> Thank you so much for the $5 super chat. We appreciate you, Hyman. Looking forward to having you back on the show soon. Uh, I, was, I was thinking about making a calendar, but one of y'all would have to be the camera guys. Yeah, well, I'm not taking that job, but <laughs> if you guys can find, there is a calendar out there where there's a magazine where Big Blue was the centerfold model. If you find it, good luck. Now, um, back to this. So, you know, there's a lot of conversation about his behavior changing as far as his grade work, things of that nature around the times of the incident. A lot of people are looking at this as being a reason for um, Koberger snapping. 
what it appears that during the time of the incident of November 13th was between that November 2nd um, and December 7th meeting where they agreed that there was progress. You know, I think that, in my opinion, Brian Koberger is going to use this information as a reason for the change in behavior. You know what I'm saying? That he got, he was getting punished. He was being, you know, uh, you know, they were looking at him. He was, you know, for his actions. And so he changed the grades, right? And he started grading people a little bit easier. On December 9th, there was another altercation, though, with Professor Snyder, in which it, it became apparent that you did not make much progress regarding professionalism and about which I wrote to you on December 11th, requesting a meeting. We met December 19th when I informed you of your termination as TA for the spring semester. Now, I'm assuming that when they met, that was going to be over Zoom or some sort of video conference as he had already left for Pennsylvania by that time. Um, it just, you know, it seems like him and this other professor just, you know, they didn't get along. It was two altercations, one before the incident, one after. Uh, you know, a lot of people are trying to use this letter that, you know, even says right here, former FBI agent Jennifer Coffin-Daffer said that the details outlined in this letter could have triggered Koberger. The thing is, you know, based on this, you know, Koberger hang on fired yet. You know, I understand if Koberger was terminated from his job or at least notified that he was going to be terminated of his, you know, job and funding that he would have uh, maybe at that point snap, but that wasn't until December 11th. And so... What do you think, Big Blue? Do you think that this is something that's going to help the prosecution? Or do you think this is going to help the defense a little bit as far as an explanation for his behavior after the uh, the killings as far as, you know, him grading easier? I would say more the prosecution because he hadn't been fired yet. You know what I mean? He he was still a, 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 a teacher assistant. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say it's gonna help the prosecution. I'm trying to click on something. Somebody give the twenty dollar. So Iron sure. Rage, Iron Rage Rube. Oh, I said that right. Could be Ruby. Uh, new sub, great content, fellas. Cheers, cheers to you. Be drinking next week, so look yeah, forward I'm to sorry. that show. I've been drinking Sunday too, but I just have to work tonight. And I don't think you want me trying to do IVs and have a couple of beers. And even though I probably can't do it. Yeah. I won't. I won't. Yeah, yeah, so they go into it further. It goes, it would explain why he chose this time to do this, losing his job, potentially losing your income, the embarrassment of losing your position, maybe having your dream of being a PhD in jeopardy. These will all be triggering uh, factors to propel you into doing something heinous combined with true reasoning from deep inside himself. My problem is I, I, I would agree with this 100% if this was done after the fact, you know, if this crime was committed, then I'm not sure how much weight this has. If, if any, I feel that um, it's just one of those things where maybe perhaps the defense is going to be able to go in there and utilize it to their advantage by stating that these are uh, there's reasons behind this. <clears throat> yeah, I was going to say, um, he. I think the reason why he got fired is because he did what he committed. And he was having like mental issues after that, you know. Like, if you read a lot of the stories about um, people's first times, they're, they're they're like really off, skittish, they're standoffish, they don't like being told what to do because they have all that stuff going through their mind. So, it just makes it more convincing that he did something 
to be getting fired from such a, you know, for what he was trying to accomplish, you know, get his PhD. And that'd be a big downfall getting fired as the TA. Yeah. And losing the yeah. grants and losing the, losing your, uh, cause that's something that you put on your resume. You know, I, I, I had this many studies. I was in charge of this group and uh, this is my, my, uh, you know, when they turned in their, their, their booklet of what they've done, their dialogue, I'm trying to think of what they call it. So when yeah, you're going for a job interview, you turn it in. When resume. So we got a okay. We have a four dollar four ninety nine super chat from Kaylee K. Do you think we're going to get a bombshell in regards to co-defendants? That's a good question. That's a great question, Big Blue. I'll let you answer first. Do you think that there's going to be a bombshell that there's a possible second co-defendant here? There's a possibility. There's a possibility. Just because when he got arrested, he did say, "Was anybody else arrested?" So. That's, that's a possibility. I think there are some pretty big red flags that could potentially be pointing in the direction of that co-defendant. Uh, I want to say first, though, thank you, Lupo Nina, for the $20 super sticker. We appreciate you so much. Thank you. And and here's why. <clears throat> you have the statements, of course. You also have uh, the lack of scarring, the lack of... Um, cuts on, on Koberger, you know what I'm saying? And so, in my opinion, when you have something like that, uh, it could be a, a situation where maybe there was somebody else and he was just watching, you know what I mean? And that's why there's a lack of, of cuts or scars or, or things of that nature on his person. Uh, you also have the direction of travel in which he was coming in uh, from the West, to, I mean, from the East to the West. Um, and then you have... Um, you know, the wording in the in the court documents about not bringing up a code co defendant or an inform or, or a, a CI criminal informant, um, not having to disclose who they are. You know, when you have that type of verbiage, verbiage in a court document, it's not for nothing. I know that, you know, we talked to, um, you know, the murder sheet and we talked to their attorney and and he mentioned that, you know, sometimes lawyers can be a little bit lazy and be a little bit boilerplate and just kind of copy paste what they see. And, and I understand that and I get that aspect. But this is a high profile case with a bunch of eyes on it. Yeah. Not internally entirely certain that that's going to end up being the situation. Now we have a two dollar. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. You said it already. No, we got a $2 super chat from Susie. New sub, do you think BK was framed? We'll start off with you. Big Blue, do you think that there was a, a, this is a frame job? No, I don't think so. I think it's him. I think his actions after are proven that he's going through some mental stuff. He he was there. Um, so I think it is him. And the, the DNA, I think it's got him. I'll say that I think that they got it right. I think that there's room to believe that there's more than just him involved. But I do feel that Brian Koberger was was there that night. He was in the house. And um, like I said, I'm about maybe 70% seven, positive he's he's a lone guy. 
but there are some stuff in there. They give me, you know, the thought that potentially and possibly that there was somebody else involved. I don't think that he's a fall guy. I don't think that they looked at him and, and put it all on him. But then again, I mean, he was going through a lot of issues with the school um, yeah. as far as he was getting kicked out. He was getting fired. There was he was becoming a problem, maybe perhaps. And I brought this up when we looked up who John, um, oh man, his professor. And, you know, maybe perhaps um, that guy came forward and, you know, with some information about Brian Koberger that, you know, threw off some red flags. Maybe those red flags weren't something that was concrete and something that they could use in court. So that's why they're not bringing it forward. You know, it's just this one man speculation saying, hey, you know, this guy drives a white Elantra um, or, hey, we have a guy here who studying criminologies, has a problem with authority, things of that nature. Uh, the professor had a uh, extensive experience and career as being an attorney and as a defense attorney and speaking with a bunch of convicts and convicted criminals and, 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 and people that have come towards, you know, to him in that, in that realm. And so he would have experience and understanding of knowing who he was talking to. And maybe he saw the red flags early enough. I mean, apparently so they got into an altercation very soon. Um, yeah, but great maybe question. I appreciate that. Maybe it's because he didn't agree on his uh, his theories of what he wanted to try to study. You know, um, I just also want to say somebody put on the chat. I think it was a Drew. He put down it was a portfolio. That's what I was thinking. You got gotcha. your portfolio to be able to turn into your to your interviews and stuff like that. And there was also a Robin that did a two ninety nine uh, sticker. Thank you, Robin. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. We appreciate all you guys tonight. Yeah, um, 1,400 of y'all in here tonight. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, we appreciate everything. Yeah, so for me, I, and I'm looking at this, we, we have more arrows or check marks going towards the defense than towards the prosecution based on the evidence that we have. Now, this ain't all the evidence. You know, uh, I, I'm fairly positive they have more. I'm not sure how much more that they have, but I am fairly positive that they do have more. Um, but I am concerned about the um, about some things in this case. We have a uh, $10 super chat. The fact that he got a physical after the event shows he's fairly confident and had a great defense. Something big is missing in this case. Yeah, 100%. You know, he did go out there. He had a physical. I mean, you know, I brought this up a, a few times in the past, you know, it was parents night in WSU. There was, it was the last football game for the Vandals for university of Idaho that weekend or that night. Um, you know, it was the homecoming game. So there was going to be a higher presence of police out there. There was a hit and run that occurred right outside of his house. So that had police presence around his house. Um, you know, that, that weekend, you know, why take the risk with all that there? Right. You know, you go to the house and there's six cars out there. You know what I'm saying? You know, why take the risk on that night? And I think it falls down into opportunity. You know, I think he was he, he planned this out well in advance. And he had his, you know, his ducks in a row, so to speak, to kind of, you know, uh, maybe have a defense if you know, eyes were looking at him. He he made and maintained a doctor's appointment, Um you know, which if he didn't have any scratches or bruises or whatnot from the uh, incident, then he can go in there and, you know, utilize that as evidence for his defense saying, hey, you know, if I convict committed this heinous crime against four people, uh, 
and had a complete physical a couple of days later and not have any scratches. How do you explain that? Right now, had he gone, let's just say he, he, he managed to get all these four um, by surprise in some form or fashion and he was covered up and um, had thick clothing material on his neck and in his shoulders and in his face uh, and didn't get a scratch. You know, um, maybe he makes that appointment. Maybe if he does come back with scratches, he, he cancels that appointment and he would have a good reason to do so, in my opinion, just for the fact that, you know, four people were just heinously taken. We have a uh, 199 super sticker from uh, Super Chat from Stacy Brookover. We appreciate your support. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Stacy. <clears throat> I got about, about five more minutes and I got to jump off. I gotta... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we'll be closing this out pretty soon. But, um, you know, like I said, I, I, you know, we've talked to a few people and a, a few folks have said either, you know, this case is really strong. And some say that this case is really weak and there's there's some holes. Uh, where do you side on that on that fence? Are you on one side or the other as far as how strong it is or how weak it could be? I think it's strong enough to convict him. I think it's going to be there. But it's going to be a lot of back and forth in the courts. And I want to hear the witness statements. And I want to see when he walks up to the stand and gets a chance to talk, if he's going to talk. Or is he going to plead the fifth and just say nothing, just let the evidence damn him or free him? I don't think they'll go free. I don't think so, but we won't know until the case comes up. I think he's going to be one of those people like he he thinks he's really smart, smarter than most people. So he's going to talk. He's going to go up there and say some stuff. Can't wait to hear and see what he says. Yeah, I think so too, man. I think he's going to talk. I think he's. So you think if this goes to trial, he's going to take the stand? I, I think so. I think I think if if he feels like his defense is gonna weaken, um, I think he'll try to take the stand, try to talk for himself. You know, it, 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 it it's a it's a double edged sword because you go up there, you say the wrong thing while you're up there, you can completely screw yourself, right? But if you don't go up there, there's a um, there's there's a little bit of guilt associated towards it. You know what I'm saying? Like, why don't you want to go up there if you're if you're if you're innocent? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So. It is what it is, man. Um, it's gonna be tough. It's gonna be tough. But you know, I want to say thank you to everybody in the chat. You know, we still got 1,337 strong going right now. We appreciate that. We appreciate all of you guys. Please consider joining. The membership as we will be um, doing some live shows. I think we're going to be starting this on next Friday, uh, where after the show is over, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be going and doing a live members only show for about 20, 30 minutes. Uh, recap what we talked about, maybe be a little bit more candid as far as our, on our opinions and, and our thoughts and theories, since we'll be um, away from um, YouTube's guidelines and things of that nature. So I encourage you guys to join the membership. Um, also, I encourage you guys to to hit the it's in the it's in the uh, live chat, but we'll put it in the comment section for the replay crew. Um, if you're interested in protecting yourself and and whatnot, consider data seal, get 5% off. 
when you click on that on that link in the description. Uh, Big Blue, do you have uh, any last questions or comments, questions, suggestions for everybody? Well, uh, yes. The, can you hear me now? Okay, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want to say, everybody, you know, have a good weekend. It's Super Bowl weekend. Um, just be careful out there. There's a lot of drinking and driving happening. I mean, I drink myself, so I will try to be safe and stay home for a while after I'm done drinking. Have some <laughs> wings, pizza, fajitas, whatever y'all want to make. Enjoy yourselves, guys, because we never know when it's our last day. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Everybody be safe. Everybody be have a good weekend. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Monday should be a holiday. We need to we need to put that in. Right to your congressman. The Monday following the Super Bowl needs to be a holiday. Nobody wants to get up and go to work after watching a football game and drinking and eating wings all night. It's 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 a, it's a nasty hangover. So, but with that being said, y'all, um, I'm Daniel J. This is Big Blue. We appreciate you guys. Have a good night. Peace. <laughs>